morning again, everyone. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Brookside. Really glad to be uh, up here with you this morning. And then I know Rob said it. I know Melissa said it. But I want to say to everyone here, really glad to have all of you with us here too. So this morning, the place we're going is the book of Ezekiel, just to give you a heads up that way. So some quick map quest, map quest directions to Ezekiel are that um, if you're unfamiliar with it, it's one of the big prophets right after Isaiah, Jeremiah, a little bit further than halfway through your Bible. So you can go find Ezekiel chapter 1 and then keep your finger there. We're going to be there in just a couple minutes. But the way I want to set things up this morning is this. Uh, last weekend, my family and I, with my parents, one of my brothers, and, and a whole gaggle of kids, were at the zoo uh, here in Omaha, along with maybe every other family in Nebraska and every other family from every other neighboring state as well. I uh, heard somebody call it Zoopocalypse, and I was about right, right? And so a uh, ton of fun. We were there, went through the new African safari, which was awesome, saw the elephants, awesome, so it was good. But after a few hours there, with lots of little kids, million people around, heat, you're just kind of ready to go home. So we were on our way out, and we decided to go through one more, one more exhibit. We went through the cat complex. And my attitude probably wasn't the best at that point. You know, I was kind of like, let's get out to the car. We've been fighting people, crowds. We're parked like eight miles away, so let's start the trek back. And then the cat complex itself isn't always the most... Uh, grabbing, right? I mean, usually the cats, if you've been to the zoo, they're either asleep or they're tucked back in one corner sleeping, which is what cats do like 23 hours of the day. So didn't have high hopes, thought we'd get there quickly and like, okay, we'll, we'll do it. But, but this time, right, through, uh, through the cat complex, one of, the, one of the exhibits had a ton of people gathered around it, old people, little kids, stuff like that. So, so we stopped by the exhibit for this white Bengal tiger that was certainly not passive, and he was certainly not sleeping. I mean, this white Bengal tiger, huge animal, was pacing quickly back and forth right in front of the window, so closely that his body was pressing up against the glass. And every now and then he'd roar, and then, and then he'd stand up, put his two paws on the glass, and then just stare down anybody that's right in front of him. He was, he was on the move, right? And the thing is, we were here two feet or three feet away from this tiger, and people are pulling out their cameras and just taking pictures in mild amusement. Or they're, they're walking by in casual indifference. There's, there's one 20-something guy that's there putting his phone, uh, or putting his hand on the glass, has his phone in his other hand, uh, trying to get the cat. He, he's toying with this animal that if, he'd, if, if he would have run into this guy, this animal in the wild, he certainly would not have been like three feet away toying with this animal. And so, so the question I want that story to lead us all into this morning is this. How often do we take that sort of approach with God, right? How often do we think about the absolute power and the, and the great presence of God in terms of mild amusement and casual indifference. One author brings home this point this way, speaking about the way we can sometimes approach God. In this great book, the title of the book is, is Yawning at Tigers. He says, for the most part, 
we neither tremble in fear nor thrill with excitement at the prospect of encountering this wild deity. He's talking there about the, the God of the Bible. Even when we see evidence of God in our midst, even when we glimpse his holiness, even when all that happens, we're more likely to yawn than to yell. Somehow we've succeeded in making the strange ordinary. We walk by tigers without looking twice. Why, he asks, why are we so anesthetized? He says, I think the answer is simple. He says, we've forgotten how big God is. Do you hear that? We've forgotten how big God is. Well, if it's possible for any of us here to maybe forget how big God is, or, or maybe you just never know, maybe nobody's ever told you how big God is, Ezekiel chapter 1 is here to remind us that God is bigger than we often think. And better than we often think. And, and the thing is, we all need this. Don't we? I mean, I know I do. I, I want to continually be reminded how big God is. Because some of us here this morning, we've been following Jesus for a long time. We, we know God, right? But just like our computer goes to sleep, if it's not repeatedly refreshed, so too I think we need a view of God that is continually Refreshed, a big view of God that is continually refreshed. Because I'm of the opinion that our tendency is always, right, to domesticate God. Over the course of time, if we don't continually just infuse this big vision of God into how we think about God, we domesticate God. We make him small. We make God in our own image instead of acknowledging that we're made in his, Right? So, so we need to hear it. Others of us here are struggling this morning, and it's been a tough day already, or a tough week, or a tough month, or a tough year, and it's always three steps forward, two steps back. Whatever we do, we cannot seem to get our feet underneath us, right? I heard one guy say something like this this last week. He said, when things are crashing down around us, the most important thing we can do is remember the one in charge, well, the thing Ezekiel 1 reminds us of is Ezekiel 1 reminds us of the one, capital O, God, right? Reminds us of the one who's in charge that can help us get through some tough circumstances ourselves. And then others of us that are here this morning in this room are seeking. We don't have it all figured out. We'd be first to say that I don't know where I land on all this stuff. I'm glad you're here. And I'd say the best thing you can do is to factor in a big view of God. To let the God of the Bible introduce himself. Because if you're seeking, the best thing you can do is to consider very closely and very carefully who the God of the Bible is. And Ezekiel 1 helps us in all of those directions. And so this morning we're going to have Sarah come out. We're going to take a few minutes. We're just going to listen to Ezekiel 1. If you're, if you're in your Bibles, either print Bible on your phone, whatever, follow along, just listen to Sarah read, whatever you want to do. But, but as, we, as we listen along as Sarah reads, buckle up, right? Because let me tell you now on the front end that Ezekiel 1 is a bizarre passage. It's going to use some wild 
language. But I want us to listen closely because the message of Ezekiel is so worth the attention that we want to give it as part of Scripture, as part of God's Word to us. My, my goal this morning is to move this passage from weird and to move us to worship in light of it. And so as Sarah reads this morning, the two questions to have in the back of your mind, these are going to be the questions we come back to and spend the rest of our time on, are these. What does this passage tell me about who God is? And then what does this passage tell me about what that means for me, for us here this morning? And then all of that drives home to this point that I want us to leave with this morning is where we all agree that when we encounter God, we don't stay the same. When we encounter God, we, we, we shouldn't stay the same. We can't stay the same when we encounter God. So Sarah.
Thanks, Sarah. Well, I told you, it was bizarre, right? Uh, Steve asked me or told me or whatever a few weeks ago. He said, uh, you're, you're preaching on Ezekiel 1 uh, this Sunday and read through it and suddenly realized why Steve assigned Ezekiel 1 instead of doing it himself. Um, no, not, not really, I don't think, anyway. Um, but, uh, but the great part about studying the Bible is that you read through it once, you're like, what is that talking about, right? But then the more you dig into it and the deeper you get, the more you realize there is gold here that is, that is worth digging. But that doesn't take away from some of the weirdness that we see in this passage, right? I mean, creatures with four faces, intersecting wheels, brilliant light, lots of movement, deafening sound. All these things pile up to make for just a, a bizarre chapter in the Bible. I mean, it'd be easy to let this wild description keep us from digging into this passage more deeply, wouldn't it? I mean, let, let's find something more familiar, right? Easier to understand and easier to interpret. Or uh, for others of us, instead of responding with kind of discouragement like that, others of us maybe have some sort of list of like reasons why people who believe in God are crazy, you know, and you can now add this passage to your list. But, but the thing I want us to see this morning is that I don't want any of us to get discouraged by it, but to see that there's great stuff here. And I don't want us to dismiss this passage too quickly as just crazy talk either. Because there's awesome, awesome stuff here that we all want to see. And verse 28 brings everything to a head, and it shows us why this passage is so worth our attention. Verse 28 says that all of this, all this vision that the prophet Ezekiel sees, he says, this was the likeness of the glory of the Lord. That's what this passage is about. It's about the glory of God, God's infinite worth and his majesty. Everything, all the talk in this passage, all the symbolism, everything that it represents, everything has been building up, crescendoing to the fact that this, folks, is about the glory of God. That's why Ezekiel's mind is blown up with sensory overload. That's why he can't quite seem to find the, the, the exact words to describe fully what he's seeing. That's why he keeps saying, well, it's something like this or it had the appearance of this. Ezekiel can't fully wrap his arms around everything that he's seeing. It's that big. And the reason we can't figure this out and fit it into a nice, neat box is because what we find in this passage is the finite is trying to describe, trying to compute and communicate the infinite, right? I mean, how do you do that? How do we do that? I heard one guy say it's like trying to contain the Atlantic Ocean with all of its millions and millions of gallons of water. It's, trying like, it's like trying to contain the Atlantic Ocean in a thimble, you can't fully do it. Yeah, you can get a taste of the water, but you can't fully do it. One commentary that I read this week, because that's how I roll. You know, I like to read commentaries and such. And this one commentary I read on this passage said, said this about Ezekiel 1 and, and nails it. Love, love what it says. He says, the true and living God is not a tame God. He cannot be comfortably manipulated into a box and made to do our bidding. If he were, he'd hardly be worthy of following. Keep, keep that up for just a second, right? Because if I could fully understand God, I'd be bigger than God, right? I don't want to serve that sort of God. 
I mean, to me, it's good that the God of the Bible makes my ears smoke a little bit. Doesn't mean we can't understand true things about who he's revealed himself to me to, to, to be. But at the same time, it also means there's always going to be things about God that cannot be comfortably fit into a box. Right? So let's keep on going with that quote. The, the author continues, God's radical freedom to be God, bound only by his self-revelation, means, then listen to this, means that his ways can never can never be reduced to a pat formula or a trite slogan. And so this passage in Ezekiel 1 is big because the God that Ezekiel 1 is trying to describe is big, right? That's that's one of the huge takeaways we should be leaving with this morning. God is not tame. He's big, he's wild, and he's good. But I think as we dig into Ezekiel 1, There's a few specific things we want to tease out of God's bigness that we don't want to miss about who God is. Because one of the great questions to ask as we come to passages of the Bible where we know we're not going to fully understand everything, but let's try to get something out of it. One of those great things, one of those great questions to ask is, what does this passage teach me about God? What does this passage teach me about who God is and, and what God is like? So, so let's bring that question to Ezekiel 1, and we'll see that there's a number of specific things we can say about who God is and what he's like, his, his identity and his attributes that we don't want to pass up. So in Ezekiel 1, we see, for one, that God is sovereign. I mean, do you remember the throne that's above everything else in this vision? This throne that's separated from everything else by an awesome expanse? This throne that captures Ezekiel's attention and this throne that drives him to his knees. All of this throne language, it underlines God's sovereignty, God's rule, God's power. Puts an exclamation point on it. And then then what is the throne above? The throne is above these weird looking creatures, four creatures each with four faces, the face of, of a man, of a, of a lion, of an ox, and of an eagle. What's up with that, right? Here, here's what is up with that. Each of those creatures represents the highest creature, the most powerful creature in their domain, right? So, so humanity, the Bible tells us, is the pinnacle of creation. The lion is the king of the wild. The ox is the most powerful domesticated animal. And the eagle is the most powerful bird. And so Ezekiel says, take these creatures that represent everything that's powerful, separate it by a lot, put a throne above that. That's how big and powerful and sovereign God is, right? So God is sovereign. God is also, let me ramp it down a little bit here for my own sake, my own heartbeat. God is also all-knowing, and everywhere present. If you want some fancy theological words to either impress people with or scare people with, God is omniscient and omnipresent. Means he knows everything and sees everything, and he's everywhere all the time. Remember those wheels from the vision that are full of eyes all around? God sees 
and knows everything. Do you remember the flurry of activity? The lightning fast activity, all the movement in the passage? There's nowhere that God isn't, is what this passage is reminding us of, is teaching us. And when we start allowing these truths about who God is to accumulate, we start to see what this means for us, for our lives. Because God is sovereign, because his power is good and big, means that things are never spinning outside of God's control. So we have always had times when we feel like things are spinning outside of our control, right? We can all raise our hands and say, yep, to that. We'll feel that again, right? Those feelings are going to keep coming because we're finite creatures living in a big world where we can't always control what happens. But this passage reminds us, even though there's times when we feel out of control and when things are out of my control, Things are never out of God's good control. This passage reminds us that that God sees us and he knows us and he loves us. This passage reminds us that there's never any situation that, that, that we face in our lives where God is absent. So just because we can't feel God's presence doesn't contradict contradict this biblical truth that God is present, whether we feel it or not, right? So God is sovereign. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. We can always find hope in, place our trust in, and rely on God. In this passage, we also see that God is holy. The fire and the brilliance we see throughout this passage, they all point us in the direction, neon blinking lights of God's perfect purity. And the creatures we see see accompanying the throne, these four creatures with weird faces, from other places in scripture, we, we can kind of allow other scripture to interpret scripture, which is a good thing to do. From other places in scripture, Ezekiel 10, Genesis 3, Isaiah 6, we can say that these creatures are identified as cherubim, these these angels that every other passage they're talked about in Scripture, they proclaim and they protect God's holiness. And so when these creatures show up, it's underlining God's holiness, his purity. And I know Ezekiel's blown away by the vision at this point. There's so much great truth in here that, that folks, we need to understand about who God is. We need to factor in about who God is. God is sovereign. God is omniscient and omnipresent. God is holy. And I'm so glad Ezekiel didn't stop there. I'm so glad he included one more thing that I want us, that I want us to see from this vision in Ezekiel 1 about God's identity. And that's that God is also faithful, and full of grace. This is so important to include with everything else you've already seen, right? Because so far, all of these truths, they certainly remind us that we should think about God in terms of respect and awe. We do not toy with a Bengal tiger, right? We do not toy with God. 
But I'm so glad that this last one shows us that yes, 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 God deserves our respect and awe, but God also invites access. God also makes relationship available for us. Where do I see that? In, verse, in chapter 1 of, of Ezekiel. Verse 28, let's, let's go back there, where Ezekiel says, like the appearance of a rainbow, that's a key word there, like that appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him, around God. When Ezekiel sees God, he sees a rainbow. And this reference to a rainbow would have immediately registered. In Ezekiel's mind, I bet it made him choke up when he saw it and saw how closely surrounded God is to this rainbow, by this rainbow. I, I think it would have immediately registered to anyone who would have heard Ezekiel write this, the people he was first writing this to. They would have immediately caught their breath. And for all of us, what I want us to see is this rainbow here in Ezekiel 1 should draw our attention back to the very first rainbow in Genesis chapter 9, where God makes a promise to his people, and he says that I'm never going to fully treat you as your sins deserve. That's grace, right? I will maintain this relationship, even at great cost to myself as God. That's faithfulness. And so just as God has been faithful, just as God has been gracious, when we see God just immersed in this light that is a rainbow, we can say God is going to continue to be faithful and gracious. Today, God is faithful and gracious. So when we put all these things together, we see that this is who the God of the Bible is. God is sovereign. God is all-knowing and present everywhere. He's holy, and he's faithful and full of grace. And the thing we want to appreciate is that these things aren't just about who God is. Now, let me be clear. They are that, right? Because whether we knew these things about God before this morning or not, God was like this yesterday. God was like this a million years ago. God was like this before the world began. God will be like this tomorrow. God will be like this next year. God is like this today, whether we knew all these things or not. But at the same time, all these truths about who God is, they also mean something for, any, for every one of us. So, so the second question we want to ask this morning is, so what, right? What is all this truth about who God is? What does this mean for us? What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? Ezekiel shows us. Again, back in verse 28, we read that this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And how did Ezekiel respond? When I saw it, I fell face down. This is huge because notice what Ezekiel didn't do. Most people think Ezekiel was probably 30 years old. He wasn't some dude that was too cool to show emotion, stoic, you know, cold and different, always stand in the back, fold your arms. That wasn't how Ezekiel was computing this. This dude, his knees buckled and his face is in the dirt and worship and humility because there's no other response when you encounter the glory of God, right? When we encounter God, we can't stay the same. 
We, we shouldn't stay the same. And so Ezekiel shows us that when we encounter God, it drives us to worship and humility. It drives us to worship because our knee-jerk reaction to who God is, it should be to buckle our knees and respond in praise. To give credit where credit is due. Because that's what worship is. Worship should just be this natural overflow response. Giving God the credit he's due for all the things that make him good and great and big. I mean, when you see somebody who's awesome, awesome at something or see somebody who's got some great characteristics, I mean, I, I, I suppose you can hoard your praise. I suppose you can become jealous for that other person, bitter towards that other person. But we don't want to do that, do we? We know those responses are wrong. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a, as a dad, that's where it's so easy for me to praise the things that one of my four boys, each of my four boys, they're good at. It's just this natural overflow response. Multiply that times a trillion, and that's what we should be doing with God. When we encounter his sovereignty, his presence, his good knowledge, his holiness, his faithfulness, his grace, our response isn't mild amusement. Our response isn't, hmm, that's interesting. Our response should be worship. Encountering God also drives us to humility. Now, biblically, humility doesn't mean low self-esteem, right? So let's be clear on that from the front. It doesn't mean we look down on ourselves. Biblically, humility equals us placing ourselves in right relationship to others, and most importantly, in right relationship to the God of the Bible. So, so the picture I like to, to draw for myself here is, is that of like the, the planets and the solar system, is, is this idea of orbit, right? Where planets are designed to orbit around a star. I'm glad, as far as I know, right now, all the planets in our solar system are still orbiting around the sun. That's good news for us. That's the way they're designed. And in the same way, Ezekiel 1 tells us that our lives are designed to orbit around God. Because a lot of times it's easy to want God to orbit around Tim, right? We want to be the center of our, of our own orbit. That never works well. We're designed to orbit around God. And the best news out there is that as we find our place in that orbit, as we cultivate this high God-centered view of life and of ourselves, that's the best, most fulfilling, most joyful way to live because it's how we're designed to live. Only with God in his rightful place as the center of our lives will we be in the right place to live as God designed and then experience all of the joy, all the fulfillment, all the purpose, everything that goes along with that. It's good. It's right with God at the center. So that's Ezekiel 1. Yes, it's wild. But it is so worth it. The thing is, Ezekiel 1, it's wild, not because the language that it uses is kind of weird or because of all the imagery that it draws upon. Ezekiel 1 is wild because it shows us that the God of the Bible, the God that we serve here at Brookside, he is not a tame God, but he is bigger than we think. 
and Ezekiel 1 is, is, is worth it because not only do we realize that God is bigger than we sometimes think, we realize that God is better than we sometimes think because he sees us and knows us and still loves us, still invites us into relationship with him. He's still faithful to his promises to us. He still shows us grace because he's that good and that great of a God. And so that means that I, I, I cannot think of a better way to end this sermon than by celebrating communion. Because so far, we've been camping a bunch on the glory of God, right? And the thing that we, we realize as we read the Bible again and again and just get more and more familiar with it is that Ezekiel 1 isn't the only place we see the glory of God manifest. In the Gospel of John, the first chapter, we also see God's glory manifest in God the Son, in Jesus Christ. Listen to what John 1.14 says. It says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. Does that word have a new, new meaning, new weight for us now after Ezekiel 1? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came, full, or who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so communion this morning just really gives us the chance to extend an opportunity to reflect on the glory of God as it's manifest in Jesus Christ. And to think about how some of these things we've seen, God's sovereignty, his holiness, his grace, how, how communion gives us this chance to camp a little bit longer on these same things. Because in, in communion, we remember how Jesus expresses his sovereignty as God by taking the form of a servant and humbling himself to the point of death on a cross. So this figure, like that of a man who is on a throne in Ezekiel 1, burning like fire, like fiery metal, fast forward a little bit and we see this king with a crown of thorns dying for our sins on a cross. That's God's good sovereignty, right? In communion, we remember how Jesus satisfies the demands of God's holiness by taking the punishment my sins deserve on himself, dying for those sins so I can have peace with God the Father, so we are offered peace with God. And in communion, we remember that all of this, all of this is an expression of grace because I don't deserve any of it. We don't deserve any of this. But everything that God offers us is offered us because the sword of God, the Bible holds out in front of us and says this is the God who's there. This is the God who exists. That's the sword of God who's faithful. Who's full of grace. So our response this morning is worship, humility, and gratitude. So now I'd like to have the host come forward. Just a second, they're going to start passing around the trays for communion. Then in a couple minutes, uh, just go ahead, go ahead and hang on to everything you get from the trays. Hang on to those. Rob will lead us through taking those um, in just a few minutes. But, uh, but first, let me close this part of our time together in prayer.
gracious Heavenly Father, God, my, my request this morning is that you would just let the message of Ezekiel 1 land on this place and in our hearts this morning. Father, we, we pray that we would cultivate a high view of you and a good view of you because you are sovereign and you are good. Father, thank you that we can have access to the throne, that you're not separated by this uncrossable expanse, but because of what Jesus has done for us, we can know you and have our sins forgiven. So Father, we celebrate communion. Again, may our, may our response be very naturally 